Welcome to Consensus on Reality, Season 2, Episode 6, or Episode 33, Straight Up and Down. This is our Masonic episode, or the Jesus episode, whichever way you want to go with that. That's my joke. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Walton on here stealing my joke. Uh, Yeah. We're... Six episodes into season two. Big, big news. Uh, this episode will be a little different. We're doing two unrelated things. And we'll get into that. But uh, first, we want to kindly remind you of our Patreon uh, thing. It's our club. And you can sign up at uh, patreon.com slash consensus on reality. We... We did uh, at the end of our Loch Ness monster sort of dragon mythology episode we did last week, uh, tacked on a Ouija session to that, which got pretty crazy. Um, yeah. So you can, you can check that out if you're a Patreon subscriber. For just $5 a month, uh, the, the price of a cup of coffee in any of your American cities. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that got crazy. I mean really spooky and it was one of the first times we were all uh me ben and and mike bruno joining us on that one um yeah together again in person in ben's bookstore and we did a whole bonus episode and then tacked on that um ouija session as well which got insane right and we may have uh made contact with a serpent uh entity which was really weird and we kind of had to eject out of there just for our own uh-huh. spiritual safety. But it started saying some weird stuff towards the end. I think it didn't it say war. Yeah. War NWO. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, well, you know, we're talking to talking to the ghost of Bill Cooper. Yeah. I mean, it. Kind of, I guess like I always think about uh clock shavings now and the, the weird like messages yeah. from Kane and Baphomet. Man. Yeah. Uh, trapped in a prism in the earth you know man yeah i love i fucking love clock shavings (laughs) um that was the first twyman i read but uh we speaking of the twyman episode we got that we got a really nice review about that recently so thanks to you new listener uh who who decided to hop aboard after listening to our twyman episode that's awesome we've got a lot of good response from that and one and one, and one bad response, but <laughs> yeah, I think totally. somebody, somebody um, called us trifling, I think. <laughs> Something like that. Um, yeah, that's, that's awesome true. stuff. We really appreciate that. We love to hear it. Um, we've been getting some great comments on YouTube as well. Yeah. So thank you for everybody who's listening. Um, thanks for all your comments, your likes, all that stuff. Um, and check out the Patreon uh, for all of our exclusive bonus stuff. Um, we definitely get a little bit more experimental over there, messing with mm. uh, some of these processes, uh, taking the narrative into our own hands, I like to think. And it's weird. I mean, 
whenever we do that kind of stuff, um, it really, it kind of starts to, I can't help, but, uh, invade my actual life apart from the podcast. And it kind of creates this sort of web, like a fabric of, uh, magic, you know, for a little bit of time. Yeah. uh, I think I, I mentioned there, I don't know if that was in the Patreon or the main episode that like synchronicity stuff has been truly insane for me lately like yeah but not they're not significant just like things syncing up for no reason so i i don't know things have been Um, yeah i've been in a real uh uh, time of swing ebb and flow in my life and and there's uh, a lot of synchronicities going on um you know i always go back to the eric wargo episode too and i've been you know kind of dreaming again a lot more and noticing actually um sort of like this is a weird thing i wanted to talk about but i've been noticing like dream recall um where like dreams that recall earlier dreams uh yeah like so i'll 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 be back in a space that i've only been to in a dream right another dream you know so there's like there's a formation of threads between dreams which i think is something that you really only become more conscious of once you start paying atten- more attention to your dreams and especially writing them down has been, you know, huge for me. Yeah, I have those for sure. It's almost like sequels or something or like just for some reason it'll like, it's never like super apparent or it's never super like out in the open. It's just kind of like, I'll have a thought within the dream like, oh, this is like when this happened to me. But of right. course that was also another dream. Right, right. It's, it's and it's crazy that like because I have you know you forget those earlier dreams or maybe you don't but and then like but your dream self like doesn't that's like part of like that's like another life right absolutely yeah it's crazy. ties in maybe to the ties into the Paul Wesson you know idea of the secret life maybe there's like a dream self that's living its sort of parallel mm-hmm. existence yeah absolutely um, I mean that's yeah it's kind of amazing to experience the architecture of the, the dream self, you know, and to, and, and to have that recall in your waking life. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it adds an, another layer and, and hopefully, I mean, we have some really exciting interviews coming up. Um, yeah, one of which I, I can't even, I guess we'll kind of hold it close to the chest for a little bit, but I can't even express how excited we are about an upcoming interview and hopefully we'll be talking a lot about, um, lucid dreaming and the importance of dreaming, um, Mm -hmm. and kind of the, the link between the dream self and the the waking self. Um, yeah. And that ties into synchronicity too. Like in the waking life. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Which I guess, yeah, I guess the argument could be made that synchronicity in the waking life is like dream logic invading, uh, the waking world. Uh, but maybe let's get into the, so yeah, two, two unrelated things today, but I figure it'll be a cool experiment in form. I feel like we kind of have two styles that we do. And so this will be sort of a new approach. Um, yeah, 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 yeah no, it's, it's, it's weird. Cause I'm not yet, <laughs> I'm not yet seeing a link between these two things directly. I can, now that I'm saying It'll that I, I can try yeah. and like create one, but um, one of them is, is really kind of uh, in tune with 
the the Halloween season and the the spookier elements of the paranormal. Yeah, um, I think it's it's always this time of year when we start to read and engage stuff that makes you more afraid of the occult, um, makes you more afraid of dabbling <laughs> um, with the spirit realm. And, yeah. um, you know, last year around this time we did our, our brimstone cologne episode, which was about, uh, possession and, uh, ex- and, and demons. It, yeah. Somebody who was a consultant to an exorcist. Um, so that book was really had some spooky kind of like shocking stuff in it. Um, and this yeah. book, uh, and we, we yeah. just, we just both finished disembodied, um, by disembodied voices, disembodied voices by, uh, yeah, Tim Marchenko. Yep, and this is a book we 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 really both enjoyed. Um, and it it definitely explores that darker side of the the spiritual world, um, the world of spirits, uh, and and the more sinister um, spiritual forces out there that are possibly preying on humanity. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh yeah so. Uh, disembodied voices by tim marchenko it's like a 2020 book and i like it because it i think it's probably the first book about this subject exclusively like this is like it comes up in like uh alien abduction and like ufo sightings and in pretty much every realm of the paranormal you'll get some kind of like voice speaking to people and they, and they don't know where it's coming from kind of situation but yeah, it all stems from like the first part of the book is his description of his own encounter with this kind of voice. Um, and then the rest of the book is a lot of these sort of anecdotes from uh, both historical sources and like interviews he did with like regular everyday people. And, and that's, you know, that's sort of a style in like paranormal writing is this kind of like collection of, of anecdotes, but I think it works really well. And he, he's like trying to figure out his own sort of experience and um, which was, I don't know. Do you want to talk, you do want to tell the, the story that begins the book? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really, it's really interesting too, because, you know, disembodied voices, hearing voices, you know, um, I heard the voice of God. I heard the voice of an angel, this sort of like old, you know, tale of prophets yeah. or whatever. I think now uh, I think, when most people hear that they would think, you know, well, you know, that's, we've defined that that's schizophrenia, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what I, you know, what I thought, yeah, I had that inclination in the beginning of reading this book too, is, you know, well, people who hear voices, you know, they're sadly probably experiencing some form of schizophrenia, but he does a great job of first off talking about how uncanny his own, personal experiences that was the inspiration for the book but at the same yeah. time like really picking out cases which aren't describing somebody for the most part who is um of mental imbalance or you know suffering some mental illness instead it's really just these like really strange uh mm. these strange encounters that are you know can only be described as some sort of phenomena um or or you know the only other uh explanation for a lot of these cases might be that they were being stalked by 
a human or, um, you know, their, their fear kind of escalated the scenario. Um, but like I said, a lot of them are just too strange and, and uncanny yeah. to not be qualified for consideration of some sort of phenomena. Right. You know, I was thinking about it. What this book actually reminds me of is like uh, some of John Keel's books, not to bring him up again, but the way it, uh, you know, it's obviously a very different style, but the way it intertwines like this kind of, if not physically like on the street, then like sort of a DIY approach to research with um, sort of like the personal sort of intruding into that is, yeah. That's, I think that's one of the reasons I like this book quite a bit is because it, it wasn't sort of, like clinical and, and like Wikipedia ish in the way that like a lot of recent paranormal books tend to be. Right. For sure. Um, and it, he, yeah. he's clearly like aware of Keel too. I think he mentions Keel. Yeah, he does. At least he once. mentions, uh, he mentions that a really good part of the book, actually, he's talking about the strange phone calls people were getting in the, yeah. in the point pleasant, uh, sort of, flap of strangeness um where they're getting phone calls like being told of what number they are like right um yeah. like you are number 800 something something like and then they hang right. up and they get these like yeah and that's that's always been one of the most haunting parts of that i guess that was kind of like blown out of proportion in, in the mothman prophecies movie uh the adaptation but it was still like a really weird part of the actual keel research it's just so strange Right. Yeah. So uh, the reason he's writing this book um, is he is both ex exploring and looking for answers concerning an encounter with a disembodied voice that he had when he was a child. Um, yeah. I guess he was in his backyard area where there were some woods behind his house. Um, and there was a voice that was calling to him. Um, who he initially thought was his father. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess it had some sort of like beeping device with three. Right. Beeps, three beeps. Which um, if you've listened to a few of our different episodes, I think we've talked about the significance of the three, um, yeah. the, the three sounds before a strange encounter, especially with uh, Whitley Strieber's communion experience. You hear the three yeah. knocks. Right. And then I think we both had sort of weird three knock experiences too, uh, sort of shortly after looking into that. Right. And there's of course the, like the Masonic connection and this being accidentally episode 33 is kind of strange. Too, right. You have the thir three by three. Um, yeah. Yeah. There, there's some weird like initiatory property to the, the three sounds, uh, you know, in sequence. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so he, so he's being called, he's being beckoned into the woods by this disembodied voice. And um, I think he's, he's confused as whether it's his father, but he's both scared that it might not be. Uh, but the way in which he describes it is, is kind of like a, the voice sort of out of phase and, and kind of like jarbled and, and really like forming a human voice out of some other sound. And this is right. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's trying, yeah. It's yeah. trying to approximate, approximate a human uh, voice, which. Right. Yeah. This is such yeah. an incredible 
description, I feel like, because this kind of describes the really uncanny and, and kind of terrifying nature of this phenomena that right. what, whatever this other is, um, it's, it's not human, but it's kind of trying to mimic the human, um, with a clearly limited, uh, phonetic and, and, uh, right. otherwise vocabulary, um, which is kind of really, really spooky to imagine, you know? Um, but so he doesn't, follow this voice uh and he lives to tell his tale um but he goes seeking through uh both mythology and historical and and current encounters with uh disembodied voices uh an answer yeah. um and there's really some amazing uh some amazing parts of this book uh, i think we'll get into a few of them um there's a lot of kind of regular encounters I, I, often involving the woods and there's a significance of the woods to this phenomena too yeah i I love the uh, he gets into that sylvan dread concept which uh i've always really loved i think there's like a collection of horror horror stories about that which is how i first heard the the term um i find his he, he does like a pretty long sort of detour through like skinwalker mythos and like does a really i think relatively noble deconstruction of like what the popular conception of that is versus what actual like native traditions are around that. And, and he compared, what's that thing that he, uh, like the sort of like creepy pasta version of it that he talks about, um, flesh gates. Mm, right. Yeah. Which is yeah, like yeah. the sort of like the synonym generated version of, uh, skinwalkers where it's like, uh, but that's sort of uh, the internet's answer. That was like sort of a Reddit level answer to his problem. And he wasn't really satisfied with that because he never saw anything. And like the voice imitation of humans is not a very significant part of like the skinwalker uh, tradition at all. Right. So I guess he finally finds his answer uh, in like this, the Nishi, right? Like, Yeah, this ben- yeah. Bengali lore of um, these wood spirits who are... Yeah. Uh, trapping and luring people into the woods to their demise to feed on yeah. them um, spiritually and, and possibly physically, who knows? Because yeah. a large element of this phenomena is people up and disappearing without, you know, their remains being found whatsoever. Right. Um, which, you know, creates the missing 411 connection as well, which he makes right. in there. Yeah, he mentions that a lot towards the end. Uh, does some like of his own sort of research into that with like FOIA requests and stuff. But I think he kind of settles on this. Like, I mean, obviously he doesn't solve it in any real sense, but he feels pretty confident that he had encountered this like a similar entity to what is described in like the stories of the of the Nishi, which is re- is really interesting. I mean, because he goes through all kinds of voices. Like he has, he talks about like Joan of Arc and like um, all kinds of like ecstatic experiences and like sort of positive voices or like voices that are driving you to do something. The, the one where like, it's like this woman's tumor is like telling her about it so that she goes to get it removed. Right. Yeah. There's like some really out there stories in here. Yeah. 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 I, I think what he, what he's talking about is kind of like, an unknown 
creature sort of in in like the uh, in the fauna of the world you know like there's an unknown realm of of species which inhabit another plane of existence but you know are preying on humanity yeah which, which is kind of fascinating because there's not really like um I don't know when we think of spirits and entities we think so much about like the the mythological parts that we impart onto ourselves that we can sort of like communicate with these things at our will through these like magical processes and whatnot that's such a large part of the occult right Um, but this is is something just completely independent of you uh that is like luring and trapping you like prey you know (laughs) like it's it's hunting it's literally hunting you yeah it's really fascinating and scary um yeah that yeah towards the end of the book he's also like breaking down like this sort of like hunting style of this thing where it like yeah it's sort of starts with starts with like you know it lures you by like sort of usually they'll like say your name which i guess is sort of well that's terrifying of course because how you know how would they know and then they try and convince you to follow it and then of course you know it'll it'll mimic something close to you like your dog like it'll create a squeal that sounds like your dog yeah. Or it'll, you know, it'll cry for help in the voice of like a, a, a child or something like yeah, there's that yeah. crazy uh, one with the, the the Boy Scout troop. And that they, they're very scary. hearing that that girl crying in the woods. Um, yeah, man, this is giving me chills talking about because it, it is it is a very spooky book. Um, I, I have to say one of my favorite parts actually is. um the stories of this, uh, I guess, legendary big game hunter. Um, I'm not, I'm not a, like a fan of big game hunters, but this right, yeah. it's just, it's really interesting because, um, he is, he's actually in, uh, he's in India and stuff and, and he's in, uh, he's, he's, um, basically hunting, Bengal tigers, uh, yeah. which at this is probably in like the early 1900s. Um, and there's legends of like tigers literally being man eaters, um, and stalking villages as like prey yeah, and getting to the point where they would like kill like five, six people in the village. And then this, you know, this sort of, uh, um, uh, what do you call it? Like, a not an assassin, but like he's, he's sort of like a hitman for like these, these right. large cat predators or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> they would, you know, hire him and he would go out there and, and be stalking this tiger. Yeah. And he has this really crazy story about, you know, coming upon this village that's completely deserted mm-hmm. and hearing this, like this wailing of like a, a person crying in the night and like luring him in and this is this is a guy who like never wrote anything about like phenomena in any of his books his books were like totally straightforward about like hunting you know and his experiences like hunting tigers yeah you know like like tigers that kind of went rogue and were like attacking people and stuff um and he would write about uh, like, you know, his processes of, of hunting and like tracking and stuff like that. A guy who wouldn't seek ridicule, you know, right, through, sure. through including like a story about being scared of like a ghost 
in the yeah. woods in one of his books, but <laughs> he's got this insane story about like try like this this entity in the woods like lo- trying to lure him out in in an abandoned like completely deserted place where there wouldn't have been anybody like yeah you know for a, a very long distance you know and yeah it's that, so yeah that is just that story is just like really chilling and really really crazy and wild and that's kind of the also the root of the um when when the writer of, of disembodied voices has his revelation that this might be the same thing that yeah he was being uh beckoned by right have you ever had a disembodied voice experience um i i guess i sort of have when i was younger um yeah, yeah but nothing to to this degree yeah yeah something so faint faint that I, i'm not sure <laughs> right. it was even there at all you know i've had a a few <laughs> um aside from like hearing crazy person's voices i mean like i was i feel like maybe i've told this on the podcast before but i don't think so i was just like laying there with someone like the person i was seeing at the time and just laying in bed like kind of falling asleep and like right above my ear like right above and behind my ear like how he describes in the book about like where it's usually positioned i hear this thing that it's just like hey it's like it's like some like like he describes again like a sort of mid-range male voice and it just says hey and we both heard it and it woke us both up and there was no like there's no other sounds in the house oh man it's so and weird it was, i'm gonna have it was, i'm gonna have nightmares it was horrifying like yeah. you know that like it was something that that kind of like hypnagogic state where you're kind of like so i thought like and sometimes i'll have like those kind of like jerk like hallucinations like when you're just about to fall asleep and you feel like you're falling right yeah um but it was like it was odd like you can i mean unless you're like i guess truly like schizophrenic or something you can tell when there's like a voice inside your head versus when a voice is coming like and actually like influencing your your eardrum like right right it, there's just like a you know a difference um because i get those like crazy like hypnagogic uh voices sometimes when you're falling asleep but this was yeah anyway really really and i still think about it all the time and i don't know why it didn't go any further than that it was just hey I think maybe I got so like alert that it kind of like was like it gave up or something. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. That's some really spooky shit. <laughs> yes. Um, and there's a few like instances in it. Cause usually the person is alone, which kind of like adds to the ambiguity of it, but there's like several instances in here where like the person isn't alone and it's, uh, and like there's like confusion like that uh what is her name is it uh it's david neal uh alexandra david neal yeah alexandra david neal um he recounts one of her stories from i think tibet she wrote that book magic and mystery in in tibet and she was talking to this like holy man who was trying to convert the sort of demonic worshipers up in the hills and like mm. she heard this like demonic voice that like you're never going to do that like they belong to me and then the like the holy guy was like 
what that's not true like he thought that she said it and she was like i didn't say that it's just like that kind of plays into like the trickster element and like the maybe like well that's obviously like an occult kind of spiritual dimension to it because it's about like this demon laying claim to people's beliefs but I think the the aim in this Marchenko book is more like to establish he's as some sort of like strange predatory being. I don't know. Yeah, I, it's it's weird to think that there's uh, there's like a whole taxonomy of uh, of spirits or something you know that are out there yeah. and, and um like there there could be just like one demonic entity laying claim to like some people on a hill, you know, or like, yeah, it's the whole kind of like the egregore thing too, you know, like of like a cult, even a, a certain cult creating its own egregore, you know? Right. Is that, we're going to get into the, the whole thing of like parsing it out or whatever, but like, is that, you know, does that up, does that rise up from the manifestation that they've created or is that something that was already there that they're getting in contact with and they don't even know exactly what they're getting in contact with because there's always this trickster element um right i don't know there's it's a fascinating distinction to to think about uh if you give any credence to this this stuff in these stories um have you read the wendigo by algernon blackwood Mm, no weird but i mean because you were talking about like yeah (laughs) yeah there was just a weird sync with that where you know i was was randomly thinking about the windigo and then i had sent like a funny meme to uh mike and ben um mike and you i'm talking to you but i'm telling our (laughs) listeners um uh where it was like Joe Biden being like, I'm not the Wendigo. He was probably just like mumbling something, but it sounded exactly like that. Um, And then weirdly enough, like at my job, um, an item came in uh, like from an auction or whatever. And it clearly said Wendigo right on the cover, like 10 minutes later. And it was completely random and weird. Um, and that that's the Wendigo is, is really interesting. Um, I always think about actually because in Lehigh Valley, there's um, Hawk Mountain, the Hawk Mountain area yeah. has like a lot of haunted uh, ghost stories, which we've probably mentioned a bunch. Um, but one of which is supposed to be like a giant, like 10 foot tall glowing green entity, which yeah. is, is a, uh, supposed to be like the wendigo a wendigo gotta find it yeah wendigo's gone pretty far south if so i feel like that's like a uh california wilderness tale but i guess yeah and, and then he mentions the wendigo in this book too and disembodied voices it's kind of like a a suspect you know on his list of possible voice things but I, he kind of is like you know there's some tales of the wendigo that involve voices like a strange voice but mostly it's more about like um what was like the wendigo represents like excess in life and like um yeah and it'll like greed and stuff like that yeah yeah it's funny to think like not to get too fern gully on it but like 
we're sitting here, uh, you know, getting scared about like disembodied voices, uh, luring us into the woods and disappearing us. But at the same time, like our race, the human race is, is like constantly just like driving into the woods, eating more and more of it, like destroying the apparent habitat of these spirits. Yeah. Maybe setting them free. Yeah. Yeah. Or, and, and that is a weird kind of like parallel in the whole, if you buy, you know, this theory of it, that all these like sort of new viruses in the future are going to come from like the destruction of animal habitats where they're going to like be driven into human places. And like, we're going to get all these new constant pandemics because of climate change and forest destruction, mm, like mm-hmm. sort of a strange, like parallel, um, different dangers but similar mechanisms but yeah i mean this book is yeah really fascinating um so many good stories in it too i think he even gets into like fairy lore a little bit too yeah for sure i mean he talks about valet too and there's a crazy crazy story that ends the book um that Jacques Vallée kind of presents, but it's this woman in the UK story where she's actually physically attacked by that. One of these, like who knows what this encounter is and who knows if any of it's actually related, but I mean, like she is grabbed by this like strange kind of like giant claw that almost sounds like an Eagle coming down at her at first, but then it's like, sort of a metallic feeling and it's it's pulling her by the head and dragging her and then it says here she is to something else that's like rustling in a bush yeah and then it, it kind of just like leaves and she's just left there um, it's crazy it's a really insane story and and thank god we don't tell it justice the way that it is told in this book because that's a reason <laughs> for you to go you know yeah pick this book up or uh you know, listen to the audiobook on Audible or whatever, uh, because there there's some really crazy stories in there. Uh yeah. And and that's I don't know, man, it's truly jarring. Like and and his hypothesis is that maybe she wasn't abducted because it it just wasn't it didn't like her, it wasn't satisfied yeah. with her as like some sort of like spirit meal. Um, right. It's it's crazy. Yeah, and that's another aspect like the whole like with the digital beeps in the first story of his own that he tells and then like these like weird kind of like robot aspects of it kind of like kind of poking in once in a while like this like sort of and i guess that'll only happen you know after the like information technology boom or whatever but you hear these like weird like just like this sort of digital, like strange, like recordedness in it. That's like, for some reason that adds a layer of it that makes it very scary to me. Yeah. I don't, there's a weird connection too with like the McKenna, um, like machine elves, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of like having the preparedness, some would argue probably McKenna himself that when you have the preparedness to know what kind of, um, that you're sort of entering contact with something that mm-hmm. uh, you can classify it better and then sort of like uh, maybe enter its playing field a little bit more. Um, 
whereas maybe these people are sort of slipping into some sort of window area or window event where they yeah. don't know what the hell is going on, almost like an, uh, a close encounter, like a classic right. UFO close encounter um, where we end up um, qualifying it the best we can to you know our own um, makeup of the world. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of almost like an auditory version of like seeing a UFO or something. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah. Because, I mean, except for the one story, which was very terrifying, you know, they never see anything really. Um, I don't think they see you, anything in like most of them, right? No, it's just the one where like, remember they see that like sort of gaunt face with like black eyes peering from around a tree trunk. <laughs> Man. And it has like sort of a blank look and then like it appears like behind another tree trunk like immediately and it's like frowning at them Ugh. <laughs> jesus some scary it's like, stuff yeah. it's like saying well, you know come here like it's just like oh <laughs> like no <laughs> why would i that's why this is such a, a great book actually because it it's one of those ones that really has the kind of fear of like a Stephen King book but it's it's yeah supposedly real stories you know or at least people's yeah. like real accounts of of things um it's not like a creepypasta these are stories that people actually experience in one way or another yeah and that's why i think it's good that he addresses the like sort of creepypasta aspect of it i think i think overall yeah he does like a good job of like addressing like critiques that would immediately come about talking about like this kind of thing um does it make yeah, like, you? Yeah. Does it make you scared of of reaching out into contact on the Ouija board and stuff like we've you know recorded and done on the, the Patreon? <laughs> I did want to say that I've talked to like a few people since we did that, and every single person I mentioned having done a Ouija board thing to, uh, you know, they were like, "Why would you do that? Never do that." <laughs> and so there's like, and I, I usually look at that as like sort of like a superstitious like like thing um yeah and i tend to like i sort of believe in all of this stuff to whatever extent belief really matters but um i always feel like relatively protected i feel like i take the right like sort of spiritual uh you know internal approaches to it like when i'm attempting to like you know reach out but I've been having some second thoughts about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. this kind of stuff will certainly make you have yeah. second thoughts. Uh, Look, I don't, sure. I don't think we did anything dangerous in in any of the Ouija things that we've done yet. It never felt, I never felt malice coming out of that interaction. Only ever like, yeah, oh, I feel at like... most like a like a sense of control. Like this thing really like like wants to have something to say and it's struggling to do so. Right. Yeah. There's always some weird kind of revelation that's came from it and yeah these weird synchronous revelations um yeah i mean the superstition yeah. surrounding the ouija board is is a fascinating thing in its own right and i really like it yeah because it's like this it's like a really recent thing in terms of spiritual technologies like you know and it's i don't know it's like people aren't afraid of like casting runes in the way that they're afraid of the Ouija board. And I feel like that invites spiritual communication to a much higher extent for sure. Or like, like tarot, like adding the degree of uh, randomness that 
that like you know traditional divinatory uh things will do the ouija board is like i don't know it's so limited in that it's like all it has is language it doesn't have uh yeah anyway i i'm people are particularly afraid of the ouija board in a way that i don't quite understand like i think it's because you have like a a plethora of fucking culture that's been like if you do right. this shit your house is gonna be haunted and you're gonna need an exorcist to come right There's yeah that's true countless films you know yeah yeah it's and it, it's definitely a better set piece than like a bag of runes or like some sticks or like uh tea like reading tea leaves or like tarot cards it's like a more it's better for film it's like you know every movie that has it like it has the planchette moving on its own you know right, like that's right. like a classic jump scare thing yep and i'm sure it was developed to a certain extent to be like a sort of creepy party gag mm-hmm. right but but it doesn't mean it's not a useful tool yeah um, it's it's i don't know it's brought some interesting results up for us yeah. i feel like um not to plug the Patreon again, but yeah, there's uh, it, there yeah. is some weird things that have come up as and in the last one again, like it Yeah. Definitely didn't fail. Um it kind of spooks yeah. me out a little bit. Like I actually have the board right be- behind <laughs> me and I'm like Yeah. You know, it's like I'm carrying like a a, a loaded <laughs> weapon you know, now or something. Like it's, Right. It's I think charged, it's, yeah. but I have uh, I keep a Ouija board in the back of my car, like on the on the sort of deck thing behind the pat the back seats, and it's been there for like six years. I keep it like kind of baking in the sun, and I feel like it's like kind of like a protection sort of thing. It's like a well, I, you know, that's <laughs> that's for a private conversation with. Uh, anyway, I feel like there are things you can do that give you like an extra layer of like you know energy or chaotic defenses against these things the belief in the sovereignty of man yeah right <laughs> what's, it, what's the spell he casts in simon king of the witches he's uh, like i banish yeah. you for the sovereignty of man yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um damn i love that movie i'm gonna watch that again soon yeah um and speaking of movies <laughs> right nice transition man yeah well let's uh let's take a pause here and, yeah uh, we'll take a little break and we'll be back on the other end with our second half of this episode of consensus on reality poor dear she has her troubles attending here on all this time i've been waiting for a record made by you and mother on edit jim just bought this recorder for his school he gave card parties to help pay for you it has three speeds, otherwise it is quite similar to yours, Helen. That is playing with the mouse organ on the reverse side. Bizard in the record. Jinx even had her part recorded today, not only by herself, but when we talked also. Thanks for calling me tonight. I'm so sorry you have asthma, Mother. I called Mabel Timmy about Billy's little girl. She feels terrible about it, too. They are all well. I made two angel food cakes today, one for Mary Ann, and they are almost as... And they are almost as... And they are almost as... Almost as... 
Yeah. What up? Yeah. What what you're hearing and just heard actually is something I just dug out, which is pretty funny. Um, these are recordio discs. Um, they're records that were on cardboard, and if you had a recordio player, or if you went to like um, a bar or a restaurant, they might have like a recordio booth, and you could record a record and send it in the mail to somebody um and this is kind of like these are weird like disembodied voices in themselves so these records are kind of out there um and they just have they're one-offs obviously (laughs) right and they're just somebody sending a message to somebody in their family or whatever yeah all these people you know long gone uh past their time on earth and kind of preserved in this disembodied audio state um yeah some weird stuff this is jim learning the coronet uh ben can't really hear it but he'll hear it on the uh yeah he'll hear it on the other the other end yeah so um i guess we could talk about uh yeah, where, where are we headed next? Uh, the other the other half of this episode, um, the other, and we'll see if it relates in any way. But um, yeah, it doesn't have to. I kind of like uh, it's kind of like a a split single. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so I've been trying to get you to watch this fucking movie for like a year, uh, and it's pretty good, huh? Yeah, I guess that's true. You have been mentioning it for a while. Because um, it, it fits in with so much of what we're often talking about. Yeah. Um, and that is uh, Under the Silver Lake. Yeah. And I did actually end up loving it. Um, <clears throat> it was one of my favorite, you know, new movies that I've seen. Yeah. Um, from the... What what is this? What is the teens called? Are they just called the teens? I, I think guess? they're just called the teens again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's incredible, and it it really is so much about conspiracy culture and yeah, kind of the the personal threat of uh, conspiracy <laughs> to the to the to the self and the psyche. Um, yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, it's also just like it's like it's hard to tell if it's like funny or not. It's like, it's like on this very strange line of like humor versus like kind of like uncomfortable, like commentary versus kind of like actual like horror. It's very strange. One, 100. Yo. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of terrifying. Like I was on the edge of my seat. um, Yeah. Both enjoying it as, because I think it was like really, really well made and well acted yeah a great soundtrack um it really nails the neo-noir thing in in kind of a hilarious way too because if you look at this is sort of a side note but if you look at these old um noir films there's always sort of the gumshoe main character who's kind of you know either getting beat around you know getting his (laughs) ass kicked or he's like kind of getting into scuffles and yeah. this main character's scuffles are with women and children. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which, you know, kind of creates some really funny scenes. Uh, 
yeah. But man, it it really nails the conspiracy thing so well, and in a way where it's like, yeah, oh yeah, well that's like kind of real actually, you know, right? Um, yeah. Especially timely with the Epstein stuff. Yeah, hundred percent, and like. I mean, it, I guess spoilers don't matter. It's been out for five years or so. But. Yeah. If if you... Um, we're talking about the film Under Silver mm-hmm. Lake. Um, yeah. I think we'll, we'll try our best maybe chronologically to keep the spoilers towards the back end. Maybe we'll try yeah, that. Yeah, we can try. Um, I, it, you know, I don't know. Spoiler culture. It's like a movie should stand up if it's, you know, like... I I I kind of I don't know if I hear I appreciate you know yeah podcasts saying like you know you're about to hear spoilers because for me I'd I'd rather watch the movie and and let it unfold naturally um and so if you haven't watched this movie you know go watch it hit pause watch it right now yeah (laughs) um and then you know hit that play button and then watch finish it in the your episode. car exactly while you're driving <laughs> people do yeah. that shit all the time now you know i've noticed uh, but um yeah it's uh so it stars uh andrew garfield like who was like the you know notoriously the the one shot spider-man <laughs> he had one movie and i think they did like two but yeah they did two with andrew garfield yeah i don't i don't buy that but Okay. Anyway, he didn't go, last. Go look it up online, and then you'll buy it. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I, okay, I'll, t- I'll rephrase. I don't want to buy that. <laughs> um, just kidding. So anyway, he's not Spider-Man anymore. But for a minute, between Toby and the new guy, he was Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, and he's been in other stuff too. But he like is perfect in this role. It's like yeah, amazing. No one else could have done it, and and I don't know why because I always thought of him as kind of like a bland sort of like whatever actor, like he could do whatever. But he's like so fucking like strange in this in this movie. Yeah, I don't even know what else he's in. Is he in like Social Network or something? Is that right? What else is he in? I guess I can look it up. I feel like that's true. Um... He kind of plays like a nihilistic, like dropped out, uh, failed actor in L.A. who becomes obsessed with like a beautiful girl who he spends like one evening with. Um, Yeah, he was in The Social Network. And you were right about Spider-Man. Damn. Uh, He was in Silence, um, the Scorsese film. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. And I don't know what he's I don't know what he's been in lately. But yeah, anyway, uh, yeah, he's kind of just like this. I don't like know if you're actually supposed to like him or not, but he's like, because he, he, you know, he does stupid and like, he's kind of stupid shit and he's kind of mean, but like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. He's, like, yeah, I, I, I was, I was rooting for him, but I, you know, sure. I'm also yeah. like, I can, I can relate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I think he's, uh. He's like uh he's not an anti, he's not so far as being like an anti-hero. He's just kind of like a kind of like a, a dickhead, but he's like I don't know. He's just like he's a kind of a cryptic character. He he doesn't have too much of like a personality, but like it, it still like comes across. It's like very strange. It's like understated sort of. That's why it's kind of implied and people think that he is actually the the dog right. killer in the film. Yeah. Um and like they point that out a bunch of like times. A subplot yeah yeah 
Um, uh, yeah, the movie starts with like on this graffiti on a window that says like "Beware the dog killer," and it's like it's funny because it's like so. It's kind of like a. It's not super exciting. It's like a urban legend or conspiracy theory. <laughs> like it's kind of like it feels like purposefully kind of like benign. Yeah, just yeah. like I mean, it's like it sucks. It's like it's a crime, but it's not. You know, it's like it's not like a serial killer, and it's it's so it's like like because it's like even implying like he is the dog killer. It's like okay, <laughs> like <laughs> damn, like dude has some issues, but it's not like he's like it's like different than like the Zodiac or something, you know? Yeah. I mean, sorry to any dog lovers out there. But... Dog people, dog people, stand <laughs> up, man. Yeah. But um, I like dogs, but that's not even like the it's it's really just like a, a weird subplot in the film. Right. Um, and there's a few of those. There's actually more in those than I would expect in like such a movie. Yeah. So he so he meets this girl. Um, she's in the same um, apartment complex as him. Yeah. And they spend one night together and she's kind of strange. She's obviously gorgeous. Um, she's got the kind of like uh noir um right dream star kind of like energy fatale. yeah the lights shining on her perfectly and um all that stuff and then she kind of up and disappears and he and he is embarking on trying to find out what happened to her as a pseudo detective thing um right but it's 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 it, the endeavor is enraptured in his like uh overactive pattern re- recognition um yeah. almost to like a a schizophrenic level yeah. um um and the way he the sort of like the idea of like seeing symbols everywhere like it both like in the movie like if we're to assume the events in the movie are like true in the movie like everything that he like intuits based on his like really kind of patently ridiculous conspiracy stuff like literally like you know spinning records backwards like stuff like that like yeah it all eventually leads him to like the grand answer to like his things that sort of right 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 yeah yeah i mean the movie like affirms right (laughs) kind of the search for conspiracies and i i've heard i watched a couple different analysis of it and Uh some people um extract that because of the fact that he gets the answers that he's looking for and they still don't help him really yeah. or like, you know, do him any better. It kind of nullifies the search itself, you know? Right. Yeah. I can't agree with that. I can't agree either because the results he gets are so insane and amazing. Yeah. Um, right. And honestly, like, okay, so here, here come the spoilers now. So if you want right. to watch this movie, and you don't want it to be spoiled, uh, you know, definitely stop listening here. And I but, think that is possible because it kind of did fly under the radar. Like it's like a kind of a hidden gem. It is totally a hidden gem. It's, it's incredible though. So yeah. really, yeah. I mean, if you want to watch this thing untainted by our <laughs> ramblings, yeah. then yeah, stop it. Stop this right now. But, uh, so yeah, spoilers out. Here we go. I have to say one of my favorite parts, obviously, and probably one of the most successful parts of the movie, I think, is the songwriter. Yeah, incredible. It's, it's like it's, iconic. It's an amazing scene. Um, yeah. It, it, for what we're talking about here is uh, he he reaches a point in his conspiracy where he 
he basically begins to see that this new pop band called Jesus and the Teenage Brides. Jesus Jesus and the Brides of Dracula. Dracula. Right. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus and the Teenage Brides would be a little too Epstein, but um, yeah, would be a little on the nose. Yeah, um, but he—it's kind of in his peripheral the whole movie, and then he yeah. really ends up on them in his detective work. Um, and they have this this really cool song in the movie, actually, which is like yeah. "Turning Teeth," which sounds like yeah. this like Smashing Pumpkins song, right? Yeah, and he realizes that there's like a secret message encoded in it and he um extracts this crazy message on like a pizza box yeah <laughs> and then he, he brings him to like the scenario in which he's brought into like these tunnels in the hollywood hills and uh, to, to get there like the message is tells them that he has to go like he'd like stand under something and touch Dean's head or something. Yeah. And it's so he like, has to go to the statue of James Dean and like put his hand on his head. And... Yeah. And then go to like Copernicus or some oh. shit. Yeah. And then, um, right. And then, uh, or Newton, Newton. Right. Yeah. yeah. Newton. Yeah. The craziest thing is like the sort of like thread throughout the movie of like hobos, like, cause like the, this like sort of underground, elite network communicates using like hobo code which you know like yeah the old like glyphs on walls about like you know where is safe and like it's like this very cool language developed i think in like the 20s and 30s um and then like the person who like leads him into these tunnels is like the king of the hobos this like really strange character yeah and like or the hobo king or something like that just like and i don't like it seems like it's like if that's like a commentary on like LA's like homeless problem, like the, their like horrible treatment of the homeless and like how that connects. Like, but that's like so that would be so plain. I think it's part of it's just like kind of like a weird surreal twist. I, I yeah, I think it's like also kind of endemic of the way that uh, the elite and the power structures mm-hmm. like have their tendrils in everything yeah all the way yeah, yeah. into the earth like as far as right. it goes you know right because yeah it's like uh it plays with like the whole like you know rich people have sex trafficking tunnels and it like kind of turns that into like this crazy like turns them into like these bunkers that like are like uh tombs yeah, like they're Egyptian. pharaonic tombs exactly the yeah. tombs of the pharaohs in which yeah billionaires at the end of their lives are buried with like three young uh starlets essentially or or like would-be starlets yeah yeah Uh, so yeah like it like brings like the sort of epstein current and like the weinstein thing and yeah uh, and like conflates it with like these crazy like cult magic stuff like Mm -hmm. and there's there's the uh the Illuminati aspect too, which I also loved. Um, yeah. The comic book writer character. Yeah. Is the dude who's in, you know, all the Lynch stuff. He's the guy. Yeah. I who, love that too. That's like, that, like even his casting is like a message for sure. I feel yeah. like, cause like, and he plays a very specific person in like all the Lynch stuff. Like he's always like a very important character. Yeah. He plays the character who kind of sees through the veil you know yeah like the the hag behind the dumpster right and then in the twin peaks the return he's like the guy who is tasked with assassinating like dougie cooper right yeah who then like fails and is 
killed by, by you know, bad Cooper. He's like this strange intermediary character, I guess, is a good, like right. a, sort of like a psychopomp. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and so he plays that same role in uh, Under the Silver Lake. Like, yeah. Yeah. And he recognizes the what, the owl's kiss or the owl's curse. Yeah. yeah. The owl's kiss, I think. And it's this naked woman with an owl's head that like. Yeah. Clearly like a symbol of the Masonic Illuminati lore. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, what's the, like the giant owl in uh, Bohemian Grove is that? Yeah. The, the Moloch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's like the serial killer, like sort of, and it's in this, like this, it's on like the same sort of like media level as like the dog killer, like this kind of like urban folktale yeah. in the movie. Neither of these are real things, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> that yeah, that part's crazy, and it's like seen through like uh, that guy had like video cameras all over his house, so it gives that like yeah, you only ever really see it. Well, you see it later, but like seeing it first on a screen, I feel like is really interesting. <laughs> And he's like an insane uh, epiphaniite, like seeing like these patterns in in cereal boxes. And Mm. I kind of love that stuff wrapped into Hollywood. But I mean, going back to the the idea of the songwriter and when he is kind of like manically just going through all these different pop tunes (laughs) on his piano and he starts playing the Nirvana song and he's like, right. (laughs) Your culture is all a lie. It's it's basically like (laughs) the idea that you're just being sold, you know, yeah. He's like controlled fake identities. And he's like, there was no rebellion. It's, it's incredible. It's it's also key that he is like, the way he looks is like, so he's like, obviously like a guy in like extreme, like old person makeup. That's like not done very well. Right. Yeah. And it's like, it adds this like layer of like uncanniness to his character where it's like impossible to know, like if he means he's written like all popular music ever for like thousands of years, or if he means like, you know, over the last like 70 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it gives the whole thing this crazy, like, um, dreamlike aspect. And then, yeah, it's really, it's really done well. It's, it gives you a really, yeah. a real feel, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um yeah it's like one of my favorite scenes in like in like movies in like that have been made in my lifetime i think and that's kind of the i mean music is music is so it's such a tough aspect of our culture too because everything is so referential you know it it can't not be you know because right nobody lives in a vacuum and even if you did like your inherent concept of music doesn't exist in a vacuum. So you're still kind of emulating something for you. Or or like reacting to it even like there's, it's like a dialectical thing, I guess. Like, yeah, you can't understand like Jandek without understanding that he doesn't sound like other people. (laughs) Like that's why he's weird or whatever. And even something like Jandek, I mean, he's kind of like conjuring this old, uh, yeah, like, blues artist yeah, right. you know like yeah for sure yeah it's like uh but yeah it's, it's the way that guy kind of just like tears down like the entire like like this poor kid who has like a nirvana poster it's just like yeah right he just like completely and that's another weird thing how he has like a signed kurt cobain poster where it's like it feels implied that like Kurt Cobain is still alive in this movie. No, it's signed by his daughter. Oh, is it signed by his daughter? Yeah, that's what he says. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. Well, whatever. But 
it feels like a really strange like i guess it's set in like 2011 yeah um and it just and it captures that so well too like the sort of like height of like what people ended up calling like hipsters like that like fashion sense and that kind of like vibe right which is so opt it was such an optimistic time in a weird way like because like obama had just like won i don't know it's like, just like as a cultural moment it, like looking back it was like like indie rock was popular and it was all this like fucking like psychedelic like uh like i don't know so and and it just captures that because it was made i think in like 2017 or so yeah so it had enough like distance to be like to like capture an era i think like it didn't feel like it was written by someone living during that time if that makes sense <laughs> yeah for sure i mean it's it's yeah. hot on the heels of the whole weinstein right thing and and i guess right before epstein like yeah yeah but i feel like anyone who like yeah pizzagate stuff that was out it's yeah and i feel like anybody who wrote that movie knows like the epstein story pretty well even like before the suicide because it was out there like everyone like who was like into like that land of conspiracy culture like knew you know he was like a like Isaac Cappy was like always ranting about him. Uh, and especially if you were in Hollywood, I mean, you yeah, kind of just like totally probably knew even more about weirder, right. you know, or even like, and stuff. Yeah. Or like any, almost like any like industry, if you're at the top of it, I feel like Epstein somehow had his hand in it, which is another issue. Maybe we won't get into, but man, it's, yeah, it's, I think Kurt Cobain is a really interesting choice too. Now I'm realizing yeah. Because Kurt Cobain is kind of the last, uh, like big rock star, you know, like he's yeah. the last kind of iteration of of Jim Morrison or something, you know. And sure. I can't yeah. I can't really think of anybody or anything since that that hasn't been just some like, kind like of like pop star pop creation, yeah, yeah. Where where uh, right where, yeah where Kurt Cobain was presented as being authentic. Um, but right, and you know, I, I was, imagine to a certain extent he was. Sure, yeah, but I think also he was like curated, you know. Yeah, he was, yeah, for sure, and that's obviously like the why that I mean for a certain type of guy who I guess the main character is that like line was so offensive. <laughs> like, yeah, right. That that smells like Teen Spirit was like yeah like this. Well, he said he, he wrote it like between a omelet and a blowjob or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's uh yeah that that movie was yeah. was excellent though. I think anybody yeah. who listens to this podcast will really really enjoy that flick. Yeah. Um and there's a couple of different ways to to think about it. I think it's it's certainly open-ended. It's one of those open-ended yeah. movies, you know. Um, it it feels a lot like it feels like Mulholland Drive, not like for any it's much more understandable, I guess, than Mulholland Drive or whatever, like immediately, but it has the same, I feel like it makes some similar moves, sort of. Yeah, I feel like uh, Mulholland Drive is kind of one of more, weirdly one of the more straightforward Lynch movies. <laughs> yeah, Lynch is, sure. But, yeah. you know, that's, compared to anything else, it's not saying much. Yeah. Um, but it, it has the same, it's, it uh, is dealing with the same Hollywood underworld. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's slash, definitely like yeah. you know post conspiracy like, 
very inspired by Lynch's Hollywood yeah. stuff. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, but <laughs> yeah, what a good movie. Um, I guess the guy before that he did It Follows, which I didn't love. Um, mm-hmm. It made me was, sad yeah. because like I, yeah, when you watch something like that, I'm like, damn, I can't think of many other films that really like kind of nail conspiracy culture as well as this um there aren't many yeah you have to kind of piece it together like to have like good moments from a bunch of different movies sort of but like mostly they just like they don't really it's either making fun of it or it's like this really like ham-fisted like attempt to like make it dramatic or something like right 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 yeah make it kind of like otherworldly like in uh eyes wide shut or something yeah yeah, well, even I mean that's probably second on the list of ones that do it okay, mm-hmm. but they don't. Yeah, but that's not like a. That's more like about a guy who interacts with this like sort of nameless conspiracy, whereas Silver Lake is more about about the experience of being that way, <laughs> like of it's so much being about on the like trail culture too and, yeah. and media you know right yeah yeah it is it's really interesting when he's kind of having his freak out you know to that girl when he's in the bathtub and he is like you know is it, is it crazy to think that our media uh only has one purpose you know like yeah and that you know these ultra powerful people aren't using it to communicate like coded messages that have a different significant meaning just for yeah. them you know and of course they are of course that's true you know right and right, of course yeah. like every aspect of media is corralling us in some way or another i mean that's like certainly a conspiracy i subscribe to is that uh, and i don't even think that's like shocking to anybody at this point no you know? and i don't think it's it seems particularly like plausible because it's like kind of built into the even like the idea of mass media at all yeah is that it's like an influencing force right and Um, if for anything it's it's selling us stuff and it's selling us back identity to sell us stuff um this is you know bernays 101 right yeah like this is freudian psychology turned against us you know since the the 50s and 60s yeah darn yeah Yeah. (laughs) We thought it wouldn't happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's it's weird. Um, any other notes about the movie we should get into? Um, I I don't know. I mean, like, I mean, how about the, so? Like, we, we kind of touched on it, but like the way it ends. Um, fascinating. Or like, yeah. Like concept of a plot. I mean, I they really put a bow on it in a great way. I feel like that a lot of movies that kind of deal with conspiracy and, and try and like, um, hint at some wider conspiracy, even like stuff like the X files and stuff. It kind of feels like it's lacking once you've actually engaged all of these like books that are about, you know, you know, quote unquote true accounts or like, yeah, you know, books that are piecing together real conspiracies or, you know, or at least like theories of conspiracies. Um, once you see like the fiction adaptations of these things, they always feel pretty lukewarm in comparison. Sure. 
but this this movie does not um the way that it wraps up its plot and its conspiracy is kind of shocking and in yeah. a way where it's like damn wow that might exist i mean that's <laughs> yeah. really wild like and yeah wow that could be an aspect of of this whole epstein thing and it's like this sure. is really crazy um i mean even the stuff that actually came out about epstein about him like trying to like you know mass inseminate people yeah. and like have his head frozen right like it's like not particularly far off from what this movie ends up with, with like the, you know, billionaires disappearing underground, like with, uh, you know, sort of like sister wives or something. Yeah. To be, you know, spiritually, uh, carried away from this realm, like the, the Pharaohs were, you know? Right. Um, yeah. The thoughts and concepts of like the ultra elite, uh, the ultra wealthy, you know, yeah, who can fathom them, you know? (laughs) I mean, I also like that it's like it's nothing exactly like truly esoteric, it's like rich, it's a ritualistic kind of thing that they're doing, but it's also like kind of stupid because it's like you know, they're basing it on like ancient Egypt and stuff. And like saying, you know, it's been passed down by great men, like, you know, yeah. Right. But it's, it also seems like, like kind of like patently stupid. Like you're sealing yourself up in like a vault underground. Like, so I kind of like that. It's not like a, this like sort of awe inspiring, like crazy secret behind the elite, like that they are actually in touch with like, you know, Baphomet. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's just that they're like fucking crazy and like have so much money and like they're just like fucking around and like leaving messages and stuff. Like right. It's like uh it's cartoonish almost in a way that feels true. Yeah. There's that. I mean, but there's also the power structure is never actually revealed in the movie. Yeah. Um the the songwriter himself who's responsible for yeah you know encoding these secret messages in every you know famous pop song he himself is just collecting a check right and sure. he's kind of just a mouthpiece for some other uh, yeah. unknown force uh, unknown conglomeration right yeah and even like the guys yeah that go under there they're just like individual billionaires they're like yeah pieces of like a an elite and yeah i guess you kind of get the sense that maybe even they're kind of being played a little bit or something right like yeah yeah it's, it's really it's really well done um and yeah there's some very funny parts it, i can't quite figure out who i think it feels like a little bit like the way the the way like especially like the sort of like actresses that he comes in contact with they're like so over the top like kind of like goth like mm-hmm. um and <laughs> like like the actress he like he meets in the graveyard in this one scene and like the guy who's dressed as a pirate yeah right it's just like well, I feel it's playing with like genre tropes i guess like of like villains and like the old noirs always had like these like really like identifiable features yeah like yeah, the way yeah. lynch does with like the man with one arm or something like uh-huh. they're they're always these like uh the man with the eye patch or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just it's like I feel like that happens in like cartoons too, where like 
if the characters are a bunch of animals or something, like the leader will always have like a scar or something. Like, so, you know, like, or like the leader like has a stripe through his hair or something. Yeah. Like, or in any situation where like everyone looks the same for some reason, usually animation. Um, but yes, it just plays with like genre tropes like that a lot as well. Um, which is part of the whole like style of like neo-noir, right? Like, like kind of, injecting like sort of like other things into that pretty strict formula yeah incredible um incredible movie really really enjoyed it uh check that out yeah uh what's yeah. your what's your website movie <laughs> fame, fame, what? plugging some like oh. famous hollywood movie right and uh, you can find my music reviews at, uh, just kidding, um, I mean movie reviews, but what else? Uh, do we find a connection between the two halves of this episode? Um, well, we have 33. Uh-huh. We have our Masonic connection with Under the Silver Lake. Oh, also, I, I was, you know, watching... Chinatown last night which connects to this stuff that's also a great kind of Hollywood conspiracy movie which is about like real conspiracy shit and right I guess the new Penny Royal is is supposed to be about the building of uh the transportation system in California and all like the conspiracies therein and shit well that'll be exciting yeah um wow yeah check out Penny Royal that it's a great podcast um yeah. But yeah, I mean we have the Masonic connection um with Under the Silver Lake episode 33, obviously the Owl's Kiss um mm. the 33rd degree and um, Owls in uh in the Disembodied Voices book as well. Yeah. And we have um. uh the, the Disembodied Christ uh risen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 33. Um I, yeah, I like uh, having two unrelated things. It kind of makes for a different kind of episode. So maybe we'll do this once in a while. But yeah, for sure. It's a, it's nice to have yeah. like you know two different topics. Definitely. Yeah. You also have uh, the www of the disembodied internet. That's three. Yeah. Dot com. <laughs> That's another that three. Might be a, that might be a stretch but 33 man www.com com um yeah oh when i i was going to get a burrito tonight and i called in and told them it was for ben and when i picked it up they had miswritten it as sam which is the name of the main character in uh, under the silver lake so there's a little does it mean anything do i just not speak clearly enough perhaps but uh Lots of food for thought. And uh, we have some good interviews coming up, uh, hopefully soon. And we'll have some Patreon content on the way. And more yet-to-be-determined things. 
Yes, sir. Um, check out the Patreon for all kinds of spooky stuff that scares the hell out of us, and we do it um, for <laughs> our Patreon subscribers. It's because you tell us to. Yeah, we're going to have more great stuff coming that way. We're going to be drawing lines on the map. We're going to be um, randomizing connections and, and manifesting some strange narrative over there that we've been building over the past year. Um, Why not? So follow us along that journey, and uh, thanks for listening as always. Yeah.